You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. But I think it's important to talk about the bat species in New Zealand, because if you do start getting into the literature, it gets a little... What can they teach us? But in order to get around the forest floor, the lesser short-tailed bat has a walking-like gait. And in order to do this, they have... Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. We're going back to New Zealand, Angie. (laughs) I'm I'm excited. It is exciting. I got to watch lots of videos this week and see the beautiful scenery and habitats and just woodlands that Mm -hmm. are native to New Zealand. It's just enchanting there. Uh, It's a very magical place. At least it looks like from afar for me. And and then just talking about bats again. It's our third species of bats. Mm-hmm. And although with it being Halloween and some people thinking that bats are spooky or, or maybe fearing bats, uh, today the goal for Chris and I is to bust those myths and get you excited about bats and love them. They're very, very important to all ecosystems that they're found in. And specifically the short-tailed bat that we'll be talking about is just an incredible creature that not only, of course, flies because it's a bat, Mm -hmm. but spends a lot of time on the ground. So the physiology mm -hmm, was just really, really fun. And yes, I I don't think anybody should fear bats when they see that cute face. That's for sure. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. And I know, you know, you and I went back and forth because we were like, oh, what bat species do we want to cover? Because what, there's over a thousand of them. And about 1400, 1400 species Mm -hmm. of bat. And I said, well, let's go to New Zealand because I had lived in New Zealand previously for, for eight months for anybody that's listened to the podcast for, for quite a while. You know, we started this podcast right before I I moved to New Zealand, uh, went back to the States for a little bit, actually trying to relocate back to New Zealand, um, in the near future. So I can get back down there. And I was like, Angie, we got to cover them because they're the only mammal land mammal in new zealand for, oh, well, i shouldn't say in new zealand from new zealand endemic right? endemic before homo sapien arrived that was it there there was only three species of bat there was the only mammals that that were living on that island 
Now, as you're going to find out in this podcast, there's a lot more mammals living there now, thanks to, to Homo sapiens, us humans, and that has contributed to these bats' decline. But just such a it, it, New Zealand's a magical place. It's a beautiful place, and the ecology, the nature, the the animals there, the conservation that's going on there, it's just it, it, it is really an astounding area of the world that people really, you know, if you're into conservation and animals, you really need to look at New Zealand and see what they're doing, you know, because all these species are so unique, especially with this bat species. It's totally unique. Yeah. Yes, Chris. So unique. And not only from physiology, but it's ancestry and you'll, I'm sure you'll get into an evolution, but it's the only living species of its family. So when we talk about the phylogenetic tree and how closely different animals are related, it's kind of out there on its own branch, which is even more reason that not only New Zealand, but other international institutions have recognized how important it is to help save these shorter-tailed bats in New Zealand. And when I was digging around looking for conservation organizations and things like that, I found many resources on New Zealand's Department of Conservation. So kudos to them. They're doing great research and they have a lot of fun videos out there Mm -hmm. explaining the bats and how they forage and their habitat and their threats. So it was really, really well done. And I know there's a lot of people fighting for them. And when you get back to New Zealand, I'm going to send you to some of the national parks that they're known to be at and hopefully you can get us some video or something. I don't know. Yeah, I have to give a shout out to Jesse because I know I think it was Jesse was was out trapping bats uh, doing radio caller work, you know, or he knew somebody that was out there that was mm-hmm. working on the bats when I was there and they were talking about, Oh, we're going out tonight to to try to trap some bats to, to get these little radio callers because, um, not radio call. I think just transmitters. <laughs> I can't imagine the bat flying with a radio caller. <laughs> I had a that visual. And why did you ruin that for me? Because it was super cute. <laughs> <laughs> I think they fall right to the ground. Well, this doesn't work, uh, but they do attach little transmitters. Because, you know, they are endangered and New Zealand is fighting hard for their native wildlife. They really are. And that was one thing living there. I just was like, wow. I was really wowed about what's such a good job Doc, Department of Conservation is doing, putting, you know, uh, there's so many more species we need to cover. But, you know, some of the kiwi, the um, kakapo some of these, you know, flightless or ground dwelling birds on islands where there are no rodents or weasels or stoats that kill them, you know, to, to help preserve them. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's part of their culture now down there. And so again, Angie, you know, every time we, we talk about a species in New Zealand, and I've got a few more that, you know, we're going to, we're going to cover in the near future. Uh, I know when I get down there, uh, I'm thinking of a somewhat reptile that we're going to cover, but you know, it's just, again, a special place that when we look at conservation, we look at environmental impacts, you know, human impacts on the environment. I think New Zealand is, is a great example of how much damage we can do. And then we're learning a lot about how to try to reverse that damage. Yes, absolutely. And aside from the conservation part, which, like you said, was very impressive when I was doing my research this week. Just in general, it seems like a safe place to live right now, uh, yeah. says says me who lives in the United States. 
states as far as their public health and just uh yeah so that's a different pod for a different day but i I have seen some some fun articles being passed around uh, among friends and of course social media that's like let's all move to new zealand yeah i know know. i know everybody on earth wants to wants to move there and um but they're waiting. smart. They're not letting people in. So, you know. No, no. Got, it's yeah. very hard to get in. Mm-hmm. And, and and hopefully I do get in. Um, it kind of makes me sad that I didn't get in before the lockdown. Yeah? Right. But nobody can predict how this no, year No, exactly. This, 2020 this has just been a... Insane. Yeah. Insane. Uh, uh, anyways, the good news is we have an amazing interview this week, right? Yes, Chris. I got to talk to Brian Pope. He's the director at Luby Bat Conservancy which is this amazing nonprofit that works towards bat conservation, education, and research on an international platform. So we're really lucky to have it here in in my backyard. And uh, I've been wanting to interview Brian for a while. And finally, with, with it being October, and there's lots of bat festivals being celebrated around the world and a lot of people that love bats trying to promote others to join in on the fun. So it was a fun interview. He's so renowned and worldly and has so many stories and experiences that I just kind of kicked back and just was like a little kid listening to all the cool things that they're doing there and how their conservation and education efforts and even some research that they do there that's like non-invasive uh, is helping globally. So they're they they're home to several species of the flying foxes, which we covered many pods ago. Um, and but then they've recently gotten way more into uh, local bat populations, and I'm helping here in Florida for building bat houses and just getting us to learn more. So it's a real fun interview. Check that out. Um, you it will not disappoint. Lots of busting bat myths again, right? Like, well, that's the thing is, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he this is a this is a gentleman that's like dedicated many many years mm-hmm. to bats solely and knows knows research. And so, yeah, we talk a little bit about COVID. We talk about rabies. We talk about bats flying in people's hair, and you know, he busts <laughs> yeah, that they're blind. They are not blind. Uh, yeah. They do. They can carry rabies, but it's like the lowest, lowest percent. I, I mean, I think it was 0.01% of the time that mm-hmm. in general, if you ever see a wild animal that is on the ground during the day, it doesn't matter if it's a squirrel or a bat, you probably want to leave it alone call your wildlife expert. But in general, yeah, rabies is not, it's a bigger fear for whatever reason than it actually is transmitted to humans. So, mm-hmm. but so yes, just really, really interesting. And then some really hopeful conservation stories. He didn't talk about New Zealand, but he did talk about um, some islands off of Madagascar and just really just things I wasn't aware of. So these interviews, this podcast in general gives me hope that we're even though it is 2020, we're still moving in the right direction and or whenever there are these speed bumps and hiccups in the road, that there's a lot of good people out there fighting for it. And then we have our community here at, Anim- at All Creatures Podcast that is also uh, engaging a lot of other conservation heroes and just getting the word out there. No, for sure. I mean, Luby, ugh, I remember... Going to their festival there in October, which probably yes. isn't this year, right? No, and uh, so Brian go he'll go he'll talk uh, all about that. They're doing, but it's cool. They're doing a lot of virtual things, and so people that probably weren't 
coming to Gainesville to go to Batfest uh, because it, you know, it was too far to travel. Yeah. Now you can partake at home. And so it might be something where hopefully from now on, maybe there's a blend where people can come in person, of course, and celebrate, but then also people that live far away can celebrate remotely and get excited about bats and education because yeah. it's really, really important. Bats are just Yes. super critical for the environment. And, and he talks a lot about that. Like if you're ever wondering like, why should I care about a bat? Chris and I will try to convince you why you <laughs> need to love this short tailed bat from New Zealand. But Brian just does an impeccable job of talking in general about how important bats are from the food you eat, the, the tequila you drink. <laughs> yeah, the tequila, yes. <laughs> or you don't drink, but still. Exactly. You like to hear about the stories about tequila. Yes. Yeah. And so, and then of course, pollinators. And yeah, it's just, yes. yeah, they're, they're, and sec- I mean, and the, here in the United States, I mean, uh, they save farmers billions of dollars annually because they provide such good insect control that uh, they save the farmers money on having to use more insecticides and pesticides. So, yeah, which is not, yeah, it's a, that's a good thing. I mean, it's an incredibly thing. important thing. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> pesticides on my food, please, please. So, did you guys talk about? The, I know we were talking about the COVID thing, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, what did I guess a little bit of insight from him, or should we just save that for the after show? So yes, Brian talks a little bit about COVID and bats and some of the recent work that actually Luby is doing to help provide researchers with data that they need from bats and things like that. And uh, he touches on that. And then just what some of the the more current research is showing. Now, and I did do, you know, obviously we did a lot of digging because we're going to do a special after show to talk about bats and COVID because bats were the carriers of coronavirus. They're one of the carriers, right? And then we'll talk about the intermediate hosts and and what they suspect the outbreak was in Wuhan, China. Yeah, it's really uh, interesting. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Chris, it definitely perked up my interest to revisit that now that it's been about six months and theoretically there's more data out there and they've done more genetic analysis and that's part of what Luby was helping out on. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's just in general we are learning a lot more, but there's still a lot of unknowns and there is not necessarily the direct smoking gun link to bats. There's just a lot of genetic, but the data does seem to suggest that the most similar, similar viral components that we've found have come from a bat, but it's still very, very different than the coronavirus that's infecting humans. And that's where it's just, yeah. Anyways, I went down that rabbit hole. So if you really want to dork out with Chris and I, uh, who are not, uh, what's the word? Virologist or genetic analysis experts. uh, But just looking at some of the data out there, talking about animals, which is what we care about, what we, Mm -hmm. in the physiology, which we understand, uh, we'll, uh, we'll do a special Patreon episode about that. So Come join us and yeah. dork out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version was quickly was, I thought it was them selling bats in this market, people eating it. Because mm-hmm. in social media, at the beginning of this, there was a lot of, and I talk about, I'll talk about it in the after show, uh, a lot of people eating bats. Like, oh my God, they're selling bats. And that just all, all I thought it was just the guy wiping his face and then the virus mutated and bam, here we go. Here's the pandemic because they have patient zero there. That's actually not the case. I don't believe they, 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 you know, there's a lot of in between intermediate hosts that they think. Yes. They think that the circulation has been around 
many, 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 many years before it actually was able to evolve into uh, the current virus this pandemic. Mm-hmm, yeah. that can uh, do such damage to humans. And so, yeah, yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah. So for, you know, five bucks, you can uh, listen to that and you can support us. <laughs> and I did send money off to Coral Reef Foundation. I'm going to put the uh, the next one up, the, the next vote this month. And, uh, you know, we're supporting conservation out there. So, you know, you support us, we turn around and support them. And uh, we've got some great organizations coming up this month, too, with, with some of the interviews. Well, and Chris, that actually reminds me, I want to give a quick shout out to ehens 99 who gave us a, an amazing review on iTunes. And in fact, the person goes on to say that they could listen to you and I talk all day, which I'm, I'm cheesing right now because that's just... <laughs> yes. I, I wish that my husband and my kids wanted to listen to me talk all day. Yeah, right. They're like, Mom, shut up. Yeah, Dad, shut up. Like, I, I hear it too. So anyways, yeah. it was it was a wonderful review. And um, this person is also attends um, Eckerd College, which is in oh, nice. uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, and has been inspired and, and encourages us to come down there and give a talk or visit. So we'll have to look into that and keep the, keep the lines of communication going. But I, I love when students reach out and also... Give us reviews that are very helpful. So thank you, thank you for doing that, Ehens99. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, thank you. Well, Angie, I mean, this in this species, just it's it's interesting because we, you know, we we have covered fruit bats, very unique. We have covered the vampire bat, I think uh, a couple years ago for Halloween, and now we're covering, you know, more. We'll get into the nutrition. This one's kind of varied, insectivore and, and fruits and stuff. But I, I think it's important to talk about the bat species in New Zealand. Cause it, it, if you do start getting to the literature, it gets a little confusing. So generally before humans or really Europeans showed up, there was three species of bat in New Zealand. There's the short tailed, which is broken down into the greater short tailed, which is believed to be extinct. And we'll talk about that. The lesser short tailed bat. This is, the endangered short-tailed bat that, that's still there. And that has a, a few subspecies, which we'll talk about. Then you have the long-tailed bat. Okay. So really you had three species, the, the greater short-tailed, the lesser short-tailed, and then the long-tailed bat. Now the greater And those are the only mammals. Mammals, land mammals. Yep. That was it. That was it. Now you had fur seals and you have all the whales and all the dolphins and you can go back and God, Dr. Getz, one of my favorite first budding interviews, you know, big crush on her, uh, you know, studying blue whales off New Zealand. Oh, it's amazing talking, talking about blue whales. I have a new crush, by the way. We'll talk about it next week. Ooh, okay, (laughs) good. I've got a new crush. Oh, Pip's not listed. But I've got a new crush. uh, Yeah, I have next week's interview. I'm so excited about it and and everything she's done. Um, But yeah, so this was it. This was the three species of mammals uh, in New Zealand. Now, when men showed up, the greater short-tailed bat, they believe went extinct in 1967. That's the last time they've seen them. Now, could there be maybe a small population somewhere in New Zealand of these greater short-tailed bats? Maybe. They're looking for them. Maybe. I mean, remember, New Zealand, big, you know, bigger landmass, not enormous, enormous, but mm-hmm. it, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not tiny islands. These aren't tiny islands. I mean, they're, no. they're long. And there's some, there's some definitely rural parts to it. But I was reading that I think it was 
like 1965 or 69 that the last sighting was. Yeah. So that's it's been 60 years. Yeah, it's okay. almost, you know, it's a little yeah. bit uh, 50 over 50 years. So, you know, could, could there be maybe possibly that's why I they they presume it's extinct. They haven't declared it extinct. Um, but there could be a small population. Remember we did moose way back and I said, where's the one place on earth you would never expect moose to be? And that was New Zealand because they yeah. brought moose in you know, to hunt or whatever. And they thought they went, they got them all out of there. But now they, you know, people are claiming it's like, you know, it's it's like, like the Bigfoot. Snowman or whatever. Yeah, yeah Bigfoot yeah. that they, they think there's some moose in, on the South Island in New Zealand. So there are some very, um, you know, dense areas or dense forest areas, stuff where they, they may be, maybe, but generally they think it's extinct. So we're down to two native mammals left, the long-tailed bat and the, the lesser short-tailed bat. So I just wanted to put that out there first. So people looking up the stuff online or it gets a little confusing, but, but hopefully that, that clarified it. Now, when we say these bats aren't very big, right? I mean, I say lesser short and long-tailed, but I know the of the species the the long-tailed bat is actually a little bit smaller than the the less <laughs> it gets so confusing the long-tailed bat is actually like the, the size of your thumb okay mm-hmm. so the short-tailed bat's just a little bit bigger than your thumb it's a tiny, tiny little bat yeah, yeah 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 but when you zoom in on its face it's super cute chris for me i mean I, of course, am a fan of the flying foxes because they literally look like foxes or dogs. Their face, their Mm -hmm. snout, all of it, their fur, their ears. Uh, But as far as microbats are concerned, if we're going back from the other episodes that we've talked about where microbats are going to be more of your insectivore species and macrobats are going to be these big bats often that often eat fruit uh, and mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. found over in Asia and things like that. Um, but for being a microbat, being a smaller bat that eats insects, when you really look at their face, they're very, very cute. They're extremely fuzzy. So they're small, but they have th- thick fur, which is usually gray, brown in color. Uh, and I was actually reading that the fur is thicker than found on most other species of bats. Maybe some adaptation to them Mm. hanging out on the forest floor. Who knows? Uh, But when you move into their face, they have small little eyes. And it is true that bats can see. A lot of times people, there's a myth that they can't see. And that's why they'll fly into you and things like that. No, they can see. They they do have smaller shaped eyes. Obviously, flying around in the dark, you don't, they're not relying on vision, right? They're going to rely on echolocation to get around, which Chris and I will dork out about that here when we get to physiology. But the lesser short-tailed bat has a long tubular snout, if you will, with lots of whiskers, and then they also have tubular nostrils that make them look very cute, in my opinion. And of course, their ears are charming as well. They have almost dog-like ears that stand up and are uh, oval in shape and very important for them hunting as well. Uh, yeah, I just think they're cute. I mean, that's the thing is people, for some reason, often don't associate bats as mammals. But when you look at their face close up, I mean, you can see that they clearly are a mammal. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they just have the 
incredible adaptation to be able to fly, right? That they're mm-hmm. they're yeah. basically their uh, Brian goes into it in great detail, but that their their wings are just our same human arms, just different bones, more like wrist bones and finger bones being extended with the membrane, uh, the leathery tissue in between so that they can have flight. And I always like to think about, too, one of the analogies I learned, I think, at BatFast was that be, it's basically their phalanges are what are really, really long, their finger bones. Mm-hmm. And so they're basically like have crazy jazz hands, just really, really <laughs> long <true>. fingers. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one to think yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, they're incredibly acrobatic. I mean, incredibly. They can just do some amazing things in flight. Yeah, and Angie, like I said, they're the you know, size of your thumb. I mean, they can weigh up to you know, average is like fifteen grams, you know, or, or up to twenty two grams. Tiny, less than an ounce. Their head to body length less than three inches or seven centimeters, so very tiny. Wingspan can be up to twelve inches or thirty centimeters, but that's still it. it you know, looking at flying foxes, which we've seen at Luby. Yeah, it's like a cocker spaniel size. I mean, yeah. they're not now. They're not quite that big. I guess they yeah. can, but ten pounds, things like that, even bigger, yeah. five, six foot wingspans. So, yeah, yeah night and yeah. day difference. Yeah. yeah, than the micro bats. Now, the short-tailed bats live. So, New Zealand, for people that you know, they think of it as one long island. There's actually two islands. There's the North Island and then the South Island. Um, if for Lord of the Ring fans, the North Island is Hobbiton, where the hobbits live, right? That's I'm actually where I'm going to be living. You know, I'll be like 20 minutes from Hobbiton, the movie set. Beautiful rolling hills. You know, that's where a lot of their farmland is. Beautiful mountains, uh, things like that. The South Island. So there's there. Then you have the South Island, which is the Cook Strait runs through there. Jenny goes back to the blue whale episode or, or Dr. Getz. Blue whales actually swim through that Cook Strait. Oh, cool. Yeah, I know. I know. It'd be amazing to, to see that. The South Island is where they filmed like Rohan and some of those other with the big mountains with all the snow. That's where the glaciers are. Right. So that's the South Island. Now, the lesser tailed bats, there are populations on the North Island and the South Island. Now, like I said earlier, there was three subspecies of these lesser short-tailed bats. So the northern lesser short-tailed bats are the ones that are found in the very northern part of, of New Zealand and on a couple of the islands near there, right? So they're there in the north. Central North Island is where I'll be, just south of Auckland is where I should be staying. That's where the lesser central lesser short-tailed bats live. Pretty good populations there. And I'll get into the numbers when we get into conservation. So the central part of that North Island where they're healthy is where Jesse's, I remember Jesse or Jesse's friend went and was trapping some of these to put on the little radio beacon thing so they can track them. Then you go down to the South Island and there's a population there. The Southern lesser short-tailed bats so again, those ones I think are a little in trouble too. So we'll get in the numbers um, in a little bit. But yeah, when you talk about their fur, Angie, it, it made me think because New Zealand is not the warmest place on earth. This isn't tropical paradise. I think that that was always a misnomer for me. Unfortunately, yeah. I have not traveled to Australia or New Zealand. And yeah. of course, when you think of Australia, you think of the outback and you think of hot, 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 oh, hot. Very hot, yes. And so... <laughs> yeah. 
and you think of surfing and all, you know, mm-hmm. just all of that. Uh, so then we, for New Zealand, since it is rather close in the mm-hmm. worldly global view, mm-hmm. that's how I pictured it. So with, with your help and throughout this pod and just being a curious person that I am and learning more, that's not the case at all. Those snow-capped mountains, no. is, it, is it in Queensland or what's... Uh, what's that city called? Yeah, yeah, no. So down near Christchurch, and Christchurch, the South Island. Yeah, if you really get down there, like Dunedin, some of the really colder parts. Mm-hmm. I, I like I liken it to because people ask me about the weather there, and I, I kind of liken parts of it to Seattle. Washington, you know, for people okay. that live in I the have, states. I have happened there, and that's beautiful there. Beautiful the forests very are just. Beautiful. Yeah, but cold and wet because I lived there for a few years, you know, in my twenties. Oh, it's uh, uh, sorry to interrupt. I just remember, it's Queenstown. Yeah. That's where I want to go. Queenstown. Yeah. That's where I want to go. Church, Queenstown. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. beautiful, beautiful uh, part of the world. Just you know, and it, not super wet all the time, but not super warm. Now in the summers, it gets in the eight mid eighties uh, Fahrenheit, which is a, a heat wave for them. But you know, high seventies, low eighties, which is 20, I want to say 25 degrees Celsius around there, 25 to 27, maybe up to 30 degrees Celsius and people are melting there. Yeah. That's like, an, <laughs> right. that's, that's yeah. every day in Florida. Right. So. Oh my gosh. Still. <laughs> I fed the horses this morning and just sweat. I had, I, sweat. I had to come home and shower before I did this podcast and not because favorite, one of my favorite things about this podcast mm-hmm. is it's definitely not a fashion show between me and you or like brother and sister <laughs> yeah. over here. Yeah. I'm always yeah, like, yeah, Chris, yeah. Do not take any pictures right now of us recording. No. I haven't, you know, showered in days or whatever. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and I normally wouldn't have, but I was so sweaty after just two hours of a little bit of labor, lifting hay bales, mm-hmm. I mean, grain buckets, and brushing horses. That yeah, so that's where Florida's at. Florida's still hot. We're not hot New Zealand at all, at all, right. at all, yeah. at all. And I haven't been all over either. Like I haven't been all over. I just know, like Dunedin, way down the, on the South Island, I can just imagine it. It's cold and wet a lot of the year, you know. Um, and then the Northland is a. It's like three or four hours north of Auckland, so I imagine it, it's much warmer. Not huge, but warmer. Sure, you know. Mm-hmm. And Auckland's beautiful. Like it's just it's just temperate. It's it's good. You get the seasons. You know, the snow in the mountains, it's just, it's beautiful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. That is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? 
<laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Anyways, back to bats. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, try to paint the picture of where these little bats live because, uh, you know, it's... it's well, in the forest, a, a lot of them live in this really old growth, temperate forest, which, like you said, is for me is endearing of like Seattle, of just very green, a little bit wet, mossy, mm -hmm. a lot of large leaves, a lot of litter fall, uh, mm -hmm. and it's just pretty cool. And so I'm sure you'll talk about an evolution, but the bats that were flying around eating all their insects up in the air were like, hey, there's actually a lot of food source down mm -hmm. here on the ground, where mm -hmm. in other areas of bats live. Because bats, we have to keep in mind, are one of the largest orders of mammals. They compromise about 20% of all classified mammals. And the species range anywhere from, yeah, like 1,200 to uh, Brian Pope from Luby Bat was saying about 1,400 now recognized species because of the great, uh, because of the, the DNA analysis that are now being done. So it's a large portion of mammals in the world and they live in several different climates. And I just think that, yeah, here in New Zealand, they capitalized on the fact that there's, there's other food sources besides the flying insects, which they do eat a lot of flying insects as well. Mm -hmm. We'll talk about that during nutrition, but they've also gone down to the forest floor, which I've never hiked around New Zealand. You used to send me lots of pictures. I was super mm. jelly, super jealous of <laughs> those hiking pictures because it was just yeah. stunning. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just been really fun going back to New Zealand this week. Yeah, in my, no, no, in no, my no. mind, I'm not there I yet, know. but in my mind, I know. I gotta see if I can find the video, dig it up. But I, you know, when I get back there, I'll, I'll definitely do another one. But I just remember because you're talking about the diets because we're talking about the ecological niche of these bats. In that environment, the one thing that stuck out with me, and I know I've said this on another podcast about New Zealand, maybe in the Kiwi, but how quiet it is. It is deathly quiet. And when you walk outside in Florida at night, during the day, I don't care when it is, it is a chorus. Yes, loud. Of life. Mm -hmm. Very mm -hmm. loud. You got cicadas you know all the birds chirping woodpeckers i mean frogs it's loud. i mean it's loud yeah. yeah yeah it's loud you go to new zealand the forest it is i can't I, you're lucky to hear a bird you know it is so quiet the the biome there is so different so when i think about these bats specifically no wonder why they eat other things than just insects because they're really besides your backyard in New Zealand, because, you know, humans brought flies and all that other junk. So that's where they gravitate. But out in the woods, I can't remember seeing an insect, you know, I really wasn't looking for them too much, but I, I, not, mosquitoes weren't tracking me and biting me every two seconds, like in Florida. I wasn't getting buzzed by flies. I had to come in Florida in October, yeah. folks. I had yes. to come inside last night at 730 with, uh, of course, it's like just a citronella, like natural repellent on, so it's probably not that potent. But I had it all over my body, and still I was like, John, you, you take these kids. I have to go inside right now. <laughs> they they love me. Mosquitoes love me. It's my, my yeah. sweet Midwestern blood. But so, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. That, it wasn't an issue in New Zealand? Not at all. Hmm. No, it's so quiet. And I remember, I remember telling you, like, okay – so we'll do it when I get there. We'll we'll do a challenge where you go out and our next New Zealand species, because I've got one in mind, uh, you go out and record. 
you know, 30 seconds, you know, dusk in Florida, and then we'll do dusk in New Zealand or the woods of Florida versus the woods in New Zealand. And it's night and day difference. Oh, yes. Let's do that. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the listeners will like that. So anyways, yeah, I mean, but they do, you know, the bats there are, are, are huge. They have a huge ecological niche. I mean, they are important for insect population, but some of the other stuff that they do. Well, yeah. I mean, I, once again, I just want to reiterate the fact that the lesser short-tailed bat is the only member of its family. I'm not going to say this right, but I'll try just because it's all about growth on this podcast, yes. right? So yes, it's yes, yes. Uh, my in a day. My, <laughs> no, okay. no. My tax in a day. My tax in a day? Stass in a day. My stass in a day. I have missed ass in the day. Okay. I mean, that's what I have. I just M- M-Y-S-T, mm-hmm. missed, mm-hmm. assin, assin, A-C-I-N, a day. Missed ass in a day. day. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Coach I Chris. actually, yeah, okay, I cheated. I actually, like, spelled it out this time. No, that's <laughs> good. I don't. You're, 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 it's good. To, that's one of us prepped. That's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's the only f- member of this family known to still survive. And because of that, where it is on its, uh, the phylogenetic tree, it's recognized as an edge species. So I've highlighted on this podcast a few times the uh, Zoological Society of London. They have a branch of... Um, conservation group called the edge of existence that mm-hmm. focuses on doing research and sending money towards conservation to these really, really unique, um, species like the anteater and just other really unique, weird, if you will, for lack of better terms, species that if we do lose them, we're losing like oh, the whole branch of a tree, which is just, especially if it's a man because of a man-made issue or threats is really sad. So obviously those in New Zealand have recognized this and they're fighting hard for it. But that's to me is really, really important to keep these branches on the phylogenetic tree alive because we still have so much to learn. Um, And if you wipe these guys out, then we don't get to learn about them. And so, but if you're not, if you, I guess if you're not a like evolutionary phylogenetic dork, like Chris for, especially Chris and a little bit Angie (laughs) as well. Yeah. 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 Uh, but another reason to care about the uh, lesser short-tailed bat is the fact, as Chris mentioned, that it controls insect populations, but it's also a pollinator. So it's been known to eat different nectars uh, on different plants. And because of this, it spreads the pollen from one plant to another. And it's known to be a really, really important pollinator of a plant called wood rose, which is also also threatened. Okay. So here we have a threatened plant and an endangered bat that have this symbiotic relationship. So they both need each other and we take out one, the other one's going to go away as well. So then lastly, similar to the flying foxes, the macro bats, the lesser short-tailed bat is known to consume some fruit. And if you're a fruit consumer, like we talk about on this podcast, you poop out the seeds and then the seeds grow. So they're actually out of all the bat species that we've covered. I mean, they're like the trifecta, insect control because they're an insectivore, pollinator because they're a pollinator, and then they're also a seed disperser because they eat fruit, where like those flying foxes tend to mostly eat just fruit. And a lot of the bats here, at least here in North America, are just more insectivores that only really have the insect population control aspect and the pollinator aspect. So when you talk about why I care about 
a lesser short-tailed bat in New Zealand. There's so mm-hmm. many reasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it is, and they and they recognize it. I mean, like you said, the, you know, the Department of Conservation uh, is doing a lot to try to preserve them. Some of that research, and and I do want to talk a little bit about like the pressures that they're facing because it, it, it's just you know they, they're they're populations have plummeted in the last you know century. Yeah, Chris, I got the number about thirty thousand and decreasing. No, you're right. So you know the. There was a, a study, 2009 study on bats. So obviously in 10 years, a lot has probably changed, hopefully for the better. But in the, the North Island long-tailed bat population, anywhere estimate from 20,000 to 100,000. Okay, these are the long-tailed bats, right? This is the, not, we're talking about the short-tailed bats mostly in this, but just to give you a picture and they've had over three generations up to a 70% decline in population, right? So That's nuts, yeah. No, now the long-tailed bat South Island is critically endangered nationally in New Zealand, less than 5,000, then a greater than 90% population decline. Okay, so that's the long tails. The greater short-tailed bat, like we said, we think it's extinct. They think they're gone. Now, the lesser short-tailed bat, like you said, thirty to 40,000 is that central North Island population about where I'll be living. Still 30% decline yes. you know, over yeah. three generations. The Northland, very North population, they think about 5,000. That South Island, less than 4,000. That's crazy because so, that's a big island. island. I mean, yeah, they're both, they're both big. That's the thing is like if you yeah. – you know, it's almost unfair to call them islands because they, I mean, they are islands, but they're huge land masses. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. if that's the 4,000 you said? Yeah. I mean, the length of New Zealand, if I remember right, is like the East coast of the United States. Exactly. Florida all the way to Maine mm-hmm. as far as distance. And then living there, I mean, it's the, they don't have highways, but you know, when I was living south of Auckland, it was one beach was 30 minutes away. The other beach was like a good hour and a half away. Right. So about two hour drive width, mm-hmm. you know, in the North Island. So, you know, what is that? Like probably 120 miles wide. Mm-hmm. So anyways, you're right. They're, 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 they're not small land masses. And you, you did mention edge, which was great. So the greater short-tailed bat, which we think is extinct is number three on edge of existence mammals list, which I'll put in the show notes because people should go and look at this list just to see all the different species. Um, I think, you know, when you and I start running out of ideas, which I know we never will, but we should start picking some animals off that list because there are a lot of, you know, there was a a species of wombat I want to do, you know, there's all these different. Yeah. Just really unique and often kind of, I guess not as, and maybe not as popular or as that, iconic as some of the bigger mammals, mammals. that we've talked about yep. on the show. Right. You and right. I, of course, right. love as well. <laughs> right. Like the Ardwolf last week. Like it just was amazing. And that baby picture is like one of our popular on uh, Instagram. Everybody yeah. Everybody loves that baby. That's a yeah, darling. So cute. Yeah. And then the lesser short-tailed bat is number 98. So, so both these bat species make it the top 100 on the edge list, which is huge because this is a big list of mammals that are heading towards extinction. And they recognize the, the these mammals are, are these bats are are suffering, and 
you know, what's causing this habitat loss? I mean, they're, they have cleared native forests. There are parts of New Zealand you drive and you can just see where the trees have just been, you know, cut down uh, a lot of logging and farmland. So, you know, again, New Zealand has recognized that. So they, they have instituted a lot more green policies. I'm not all up to date on it, what they're doing with logging, whatnot, but I know conservation is one of their national themes, you know, and, and being more um, eco-friendly is a big thing in New Zealand. So um, I think one of the biggest problems that's recognized there is the introduced predators, you know, of stoats, which is like a little weasel, ferrets, cats, rats, they have all been devastating to bats. And they've actually, in one project I read, they've put aluminum bands around trees where there's bat roosts, to, to, where bats are roosting with their babies and stuff to keep the mustelids and ferrets and things from climbing up and getting the bats. Because that's, that's what's devastating the native wildlife. And we talked about this in the Kiwi podcast. I go back to episode 44. One that I, lo- I still love to this day. Uh, Theo Van Noort was episode 49, the Million Dollar Mouse Project. The Antipodes Islands, which are south of South Island, New Zealand. So very remote. I think less than 100 people have ever visited there. Uh, a shipwreck there like 140 years ago. Some mice got on the island, bred like crazy, devastated the birds, devastated the insects. It just, they took over because these birds have lived there for tens of thousands of years. have never had a predator. Right. And all of a sudden you have, yeah. And all of a sudden you have these mice and then these rats and all these things like, what are you Calm, You know, and they get chomped or the babies get eaten or the eggs get eaten. So the Million Dollar Mouse Project was was amazing that they went down there to, to eradicate the mice and bird populations are coming back, insect populations are coming back. So I think what you're seeing in that, that South Island, those populations is where you see a lot of these introduced species. So the stoats, this, again, I think this is why New Zealand's so, such an interesting story. So are like weasels. They were brought into New Zealand in 1889 to control introduced rabbits. The rabbits were destroying the vegetation and sheep pastures. And so competing with sheep. So they had to bring in a predator. So they brought in stoats. And it's been devastating, just devastating to the kiwi, to all the native, the cockapoo, which we're going to do within the year all these flightless birds, these ground nesting birds. It's just been horrific. And so I have a list of, of a lot of species that have been introduced from mammals, remember? Because we were dealing with three bat species before humans showed up. So rats, cats, uh, the bushtail possum is devastating. So that one is brought over from Australia. Uh, the hares, the hedgehogs, the rabbits, the deer, the ferrets, the goats, the horses. They have wild populations of horses there. The stoats, the wallabies, they have wallabies there. Wow. Different types of deer. Yeah, different type, a whole bunch of different types of deer. And they did a moose. They brought in moose at some point, which I guess didn't do well. And what an elk. And so a lot of these introduced mammals have had a major impact 
you know, and then again, these bats did. So, so again, I think that is what is having, it is, I mean, it's recognized that is one of the major impacts. And so again, when Angie and I, we talked about invasive species, I think we even did, I don't know how last week we were talking about lionfish or whenever we were talking about, you know, the Burmese pythons and some of these introduced species with climate change, things are migrating now. It's, we got to keep our eyes to it and, and New Zealand recognizes it and is, is fighting hard to preserve their, their native wildlife. Now, Angie, talking about New Zealand now, let's just quickly talk bat evolution. You know, we've, we've covered this a little bit in, in the previous two bat episodes. It, it did go up from my slides though. You, you know, you've said that they've added maybe 200 more species. I had 16 major families of bats. Now it's 18 major families of bats. So just in a, in a year, or two years, I think. It, it just is changing so quickly. It's just nuts. It's nuts. But like you said, there now you said there's an estimate of over 1,400 species of bats. Some of this data is dated, but what I had is 26 species are critically endangered. 52 species are endangered. Uh, nearly 1,000 are considered threatened. And it was just like every bat species on the earth is heading towards extinction, which is bad bad, bad news for us, like very bad news for humanity. If that happens, like horrific, that's why, you know, Angie and I are fighting so hard to spread this news. It's not gloom and doom, you know, obviously, you know, I was thinking about this week, you know, cause David Attenborough is pushing a lot of stuff. It's just, we need to act now. If we act now, we can reverse these trends. And so that's why we're screaming from the top of our lungs, you know, now, Bat evolution, in a nutshell, it, it goes back about 52 million years ago. And Onycontaris finnegi was the earliest bat. And just to review, this was a bat that didn't really fly, Angie. It glided. I think you remember that. Like it would be on a branch, climb up a tree, look at something, and then glide down, you know, maybe to... to yeah, like a squirrel, like a insect. gliding squirrel yeah, or something. Mm -hmm. exactly, exactly. And... So they, they didn't have echolocation, uh, didn't have all these specialities, but they were developing that membrane that allowed them to do a little bit of flight or gliding. Now, I want to ask you, if you had to guess where, because I was surprised on this one, where do you think on earth these bats would have evolved? The answer is usually North America, but... <laughs> you're too smart, yes. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Don't say but. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I thought you were trying right. to trick me because I know whenever, no. when, in, when in doubt, answer North America for evolution yeah. questions. I, it's, I don't know what happened here, but yeah, Wyoming, like they discovered these, these fossils so cool. in Wyoming. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just because we have so many dorky scientists out there like us digging up bones. I think that's That's going to be my kid in about 20 years. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, I'm going to pay for his college to go be our uh, our dinosaur expert. Oh, I'm going to help you pay for his He can't wait. He wants to I'm trying to see if I can find any camps. Like they have one at our Florida museum, our natural museum yeah. here, but I think the kids have to be like 10 or 12 or something and so he'll just have to oh. wait. But yeah, I'm gonna tell Xander I'm gonna contribute to your your college education, your PhD. <laughs> yeah, so, he'll probably probably be going there in a couple of years at the rate he's doing. So <laughs> the rate he's yeah. going. So yeah, he's amazing. Now the thing is about bad evolution. It, it's again the the picture isn't complete because you know these are flying mammals. Their bones aren't as dense as ours, so they have brittle bones. They don't preserve well. They don't fossilize well. 
So it's hard to paint the picture of some of this evolution that people out there. So if you're looking for a field, you know, go study bad evolution. We, we need to more, know more about them. Now, looking at the family tree, specifically the, the short-tailed bats, Chiro, oh, I, I didn't spell this one out. Chiroptera there you is go. the mm-hmm. order of all bats. Did it right. The microchiroptera is the microbats. And then mega are the, the fruit bats that Angie talked about. 18 families of bats. Angie already said the family, this specific family is very unique. Missed Asinidae. Very so good. So mm-hmm. these are the, the New Zealand bats. The closest relatives are the disc wing bats or the this one was fun, Mormoops. So Mormoopidae, which is, <laughs> so Mormoopidae is is a close relative to these New Zealand bats. And I only bring it up because this was the, the their, their faces are just crazy looking. They're known as mustached bats, the ghost faced bat, which you wanted to do, or the naked backed bats. And these are actually American bats from you know, the United States down to Brazil. So those are the ones I think you want to do the ghost face bat. Yeah, we'll do well, maybe we'll New do Zealand. maybe we'll do that next uh October. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. We got to But I was very October. pleasantly surprised uh doing this lesser short-tailed bat. I did the ground dwelling is I just can't wait till we get to behavior. I know, we're getting there. We're getting there. So the scientific name of the the lesser short-tailed bat is Mysticina tuberculate and then you have the three subspecies in north, central and south. Okay? Now, Angie, I don't know. I seriously doubt you remember this, but this huge walking bat that I covered way back in episode, I think, 16. I don't. Where re- was it found? New Zealand. I know this. Yeah, I found. I, I, I came across it in my notes. So I, I am forever the student and trying to remember a few things here and there. But yeah, it was like huge, right? Like bizarre, yeah. giant. And, it, and But it goes to show that bats have been walking around the forest floors of New Zealand for 15, 16 million years? Yeah, 16 million years. Yeah. Yeah, good, good. See, okay. Yeah, you remember that. It was only 180 episodes ago. but Well, and I came across it again. So. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Which I, that's I how you learn it. by repetition, right? Yeah. Like, that's how you learn. Yeah, but they're, they're almost twice as large as flying foxes, too heavy to fly, like these gliding, forest walking bat. And it was Mystacina myosinalis. So you can look that up and look for a huge walking bat. Before we jump into the behavior real quick, Angie, because I wanted to get into this walking stuff really quick. I mean, most I couldn't find data on how long these specific bats live. Most live around 20 years. Some species, the smaller ones can live over 30 years, you know. So generally that's how long they live. But yeah, that walking behavior is just nuts. Yeah, Chris, I had a lot of fun this week watching videos of bats walking on the ground, <laughs> not flying in the air like you think of in Halloween, which maybe creeping around the ground actually might be more Halloween-esque. I don't, I don't know. But the videos are really charming in my opinion. And there's several on YouTube, so we'll put some up on our show notes. And then, of course, in New Zealand, the DOC, the Department of Conservation, has some great videos up there too to help educate the public and then, of course, of course encourage conservation. But in order to get around the forest floor, the lesser short-tailed bat has a walking-like gait. And in order to do this, they have several physiology adaptations to enable them to move pretty freely on the floor. And so 
One of the first things they do is they fold their wings beneath a leathery protective membrane. So it turns their forearms into basically makeshift front legs, if you will. And they also have thumbs, like several different family groups of mammals, that have an enlarged claw or talon, if you will, uh, and which gives them some grip. And then their thumbs, if you will, end in a large claws, and they actually have something similar on their back feet, which help them crawl and enable them to grip onto the leaf litter or basically crawl over logs and things like that. And their hind legs are really, really strong and very agile uh, for as compared to other bat species. And with these four wings folded in, they really act like front legs. <laughs> and they do some, like, when they roost, they often will roost in trees, as Chris has mentioned, but they do sometimes roost in hollowed out logs and down on the ground and in a leaf litter. And they've been known to dig. So now they're using their folded in wings like a digging little excavator to. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. To, to get, yeah. uh, to, to claw out a burrow for them. And it's just, yeah, it's just incredible. And so the footage, I'm not describing it well, but you just have to watch them scatter around the forest floor like they've been doing it for 15 million years and they're really graceful at it. It's incredible. (laughs) But it's also important too because they they need to do some digging and and Mm -hmm. searching around for basically the insects and the different plants that they're looking for. No, I mean, and that's in my mind. I'm like, that's why they're so picked off so easily by all these introduced species. You know, they're just on the forest floor because they haven't evolved to get away from predators because there was none really, you know. And all of a sudden you have this introduction of of not just one, but all of these. Right. So many different threats. Yeah. And humans. It's just you combine it all. That's why they're heading towards extinction. Yeah. Some of the... One of the studies I found by the DOC was saying that, yeah, rats can take out like 30% of, the, of certain populations oh, uh, in different areas. Yeah, crazy. Even all the Pacific Islands, I mean, uh, they've just mm-hmm. been devastating, devastating, as cute as rats can be, but ugh, not they don't belong there. Okay, here's one physiology fact, because I know you want to dork out on echolocation a little bit, but bats have belly buttons. <laughs> Oh, of course yeah, they not, do. Yeah, I, saw so... that. It's, <laughs> I know all mam- nearly all mammals do, but uh, I saw a picture of it. I was like, oh, yeah, they do have belly buttons. And I look and I see it. And it's yeah. like when they stand up. And that's the thing we, we're yeah. not going to go into in this pod, but they are mammals. So they nurse their young. Yeah. And uh, actually with the interview with uh, Brian Pope from Luby Bat, we talk about how they breed and how they give birth. And is it upside down or right side up? And how do oh. they nurse? Of course, they have – they produce milk and they have um, teats. And where are they? And all these fun things. So I'll save that for the interview. But, yeah, they're, they're – they're mammals, but many families of bats, especially the microbats, are unique in that they have echolocation to help them navigate in the dark and whether they're eating insects or consuming other material like the lesser short-tailed bat is known to do. And in prepping this week, uh, it gave me another excuse to dork out about echolocation, which Honestly, Chris, it could, echolocation, the physiology behind it could be a completely different pod, like for a different yes, day. Yes. It is, it's yeah. intense. And, but briefly, echolocation is really important for bat, bats to determine 
how far away an object is, whether it's another tree so they don't fly into it, or more importantly, their food source like the mosquito here in my backyard. And in order to do that, they basically echolocate by generating an ultrasound. So that's a frequency between anywhere between 14,000 to anywhere 100,000 hertz, which we typically can't hear. The human range, we, we hear about 20. So there's some clicks and different sounds, of course, that I, I know that I can hear uh, that bats are making, but a lot of them we cannot hear. And so the sound that most of us can't hear is generated from their larynx. And then travels through either their open mouth or in some species, their nose. That's why Brian was explaining to me that a lot of the species of bats have these just goofy looking noses and uh, which we'll cover hopefully in pods to come. But it all has to do with echolocation. Like they adapted those different facial structures to help them navigate their world around them better. And just generically, when this sound is emitted, whether it's within our human range of hearing it or not, it travels, it hits an object, and it bounces back to them. And it, the bats have unique, and we talk about superhuman just powers, if you will, the information that they receive back through the echo gives them data on how large the object is, how far away it is, its depth, just stuff that researchers are still want trying to figure out once again, we would need an expert on here. It's a different pod for a different day, but it's just incredible to the point where researchers do know that the auditory cortex, that part of a bat's brain that's picking up on the echo when it comes back is really large in comparison to other mammals and that they have special neuron networks in different regions of the frontal cortex to help provide information about is the target moving? Is it a big object? What is this, you know, what's going on here? So it's just, it's incredible. Um, but just to give you a little example of the frequency or range of a bat call that us humans can hear, I have a little clip for you. Yeah, yeah I, that's not the lesser short-tailed bat, but we know they echolocate, right? It's yeah, just, I couldn't find a specific yeah. clip of what they sound like that was clean enough to play on the air. But in general, that's what a bat call will sound like that we can hear. And, of course, these ultrasounds are for echolocation, but they're also used in communication, um, in courtship, other things like that, uh, and, and but what we do know about the lesser short-tailed bat calls is that they're multi-harmonic. So depending on the bat species, their calls can be, or their echolocations can be uh, one frequency, or they can be multiple frequencies, and that's known as multi-harmonic. But Chris, what I found really charming about the lesser short-tailed bat is a recent study showed that males use singing roosts to basically sing during breeding season, which is thought to attract females. So they, they're using their calls in a different way, which is just incredible. I mean, I think it opens up a whole other area of research of why they're doing this behavior and what it means and what these calls are. 
So I couldn't find any audio of that, unfortunately, but that's something we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open to because I want to learn more about that. No, I know. And oh, I, I don't know. We covered it in a bad episode way back when. There was something you can use, I think, to identify bats in your area at night. Like you could record it, then upload it, and it will identify the species. It, it's it's a software. I'll see if I can link it in the show notes if that's true. Um, but yeah, when I get down to New Zealand, I'll get out there and see if I can record some of this stuff. And of course, there's a lot more we could cover about echolocation. I went down many rabbit holes. It's super fascinating from a physiologist's point of view. But with the lesser short-tailed bat, I was also interested in how they hunt on the forest floor. And so I came across a study uh, in the Journal of Experimental Biology, which is just an awesome name for a journal. Like, you know, you're mm-hmm. cool when you're like, doing experimental yeah. biology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, researchers in New Zealand had these same questions back in 2003, and they wanted to know how is the lesser short-tailed bat finding its food on the forest floor? They were able to confirm that there's basically three different strategies. So when we talk about like superheroes or genius animals, they basically mm-hmm. use echolocation, like a lot of our microbats, uh, to capture food food in the air to get the insects that are flying around. Uh, And then they also use their hearing, their passive hearing to help find the creatures that are the little worms and whatever bugs are eating on the ground to listen for them. And then lastly, they use their scent when they're on the forest floor. And so the result of this experiment showed that the lesser short-tailed bat of course, use echolocation when they're flying. That's pretty. That was pretty easy to prove. But what they also showed was that when they're on the ground, they can do like low repetition calls. And the researchers think that that was maybe using a little bit of echolocation on the ground. But more specifically, they think that they help find their prey, so other insects on in the leaf litter, by using passive hearing and scent, so um, olfactory, and smelling around, which is just incredible that the bat has evolved all these different skill sets to get food. And, the, and not many, not many bats do that, right? They don't, they're not, they're not listening for their food like an owl, you know, and, or mm-hmm, using their mm-hmm, smell. And mm-hmm. I remember the vampire bat had a really good sense of smell when it was uh, finding its, uh, its, its prey items. But I just think they're an incredible example of how adaptation, especially like on a, a large island, can be so exquisite. No, it's okay. So I did find it was Bat Detective. We did talk about in episode 60, the vampire bats, but that project's over, Citizen Science Project. They actually like got over a million. Uh, 1.2 million like calls submitted. Awesome. So there's lots of bat probably, lovers you know, out there. Yeah, you can look at that. So then looking, there's actually a bat detector that you can buy. <laughs> this is amazing. It's a device used. To Hello, the Christmas present for John. I know. I know. So you can go out and it converts their echolocation ultrasounds to signals that we can hear. Cool. So uh, you can go out love in the science. wild and listen. I love it. Yeah. So cool stuff. Cool stuff. So, you know, now, I know before we, we, we jump into repro and, and anything else, you know, like you said, the, the dietary stuff, insects, fruit, pollen, what percent, I guess, is, is what do they eat, you know? 
So, of course, with bats, we know that they hunt at night. Um, and they'll usually spend about 30% of their time hunting insects in the air. That's what all my local bats here in Florida do. And then about 30% of their time hunting insects on the forest floor, whether they're doing it through echolocation, passive hearing, or um, olfaction. And then about 40% of their time feeding on plants. So they just have this really robust, they're not picky uh, diets, right? Uh, which is just incredible. And that's why they, until introduced species came in and wiped them out, they, they had a lot of adaptability to find lots of different food sources. You're right. It's like just what's, what's there for them. And so they just, you know, think of how long it's taken them to adapt to have that lifestyle where, you know, we have specific, like last week with the aardwolf, very specific diet very specific termite family like these termites crazy they yeah that, that's it's specialist yeah mm -hmm. yeah and these ones are pretty opportunistic so and then angie reading you, you talk a little bit about the winter how they survive because it does get cold i mean even in where i was in the north island i mean it got below freezing right chris uh but traditionally bats in new zealand don't hibernate um in the cold weather They'll stay in their roost and they might go into what we call a topor, which is a real mild form of hibernation where basically they'll stay in their roost for 10 days and their metabolism's lowered so they don't have to eat every day and things like that. But definitely not a traditional uh, hibernation. And that's, you know, they've got that fur to help keep them warm and they do need to go out and, and feed. So they will. But it's important to note too that from a social point of view, they do roost sometimes together. Their colonies can be up to 100. Um, and like I mentioned, they can be up in trees or things like that, but also down on the ground. So I imagine maybe where it's a little colder, they might be found more up above versus down uh, to help stay warm and maybe in larger groups. But, but the other rabbit hole I went down, which I will not bore people too much with, is that uh, – the lesser short-tailed bat is known to be a lek breeder, and that's an L-E-K is the word, lek breeder. And Chris, in this lek system is a whole bunch of bats will get together to engage in competitive displays or courtship rituals. So it's kind of like a dance-off. I mean, we, we never really did that. I think they did that in like movies from the 1960s or 70s yeah, where there's like yeah, a dance-off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and But... So yeah, it's all these males and they're just, you know, showing their stuff. And uh, if you're a lesser short-tailed bat, you might be singing um, and it helps the female be able to pick out a male that she is interested in. And so, and the lek breeding system is most predominantly seen in uh, species of birds. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool that uh, the lesser short-tailed bat engages in this kind of uh, breeding ritual uh, where the males yeah. just are flaunting their stuff. Um, they'll also do things like mark the entrance of their roost. Besides singing and doing visual displays, the males will also mark their roost with oily secretions, so scent glands mm -hmm. that are on their throat. And it's I guess it's a musky smell that the females just really dig. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, and once male and female do get together and breed, in the lesser short-tailed bat, the embryo will enter delayed implantation through the winter. Mm -hmm. 
So we we see that before in several carnivore species. Bears come yeah. to mind. Uh, I mm-hmm. guess I wasn't familiar that this happened in bats. That was a little no, no interesting to ever. me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so with yeah. delayed implantation, the embryo is fertilized and it's gone through a few replications and, and cycles, but overall it just hangs out uh, until another hormonal or environmental cue comes along that tells it, okay, start back up. Like now keep dividing and keep growing. And it makes sense that they do this because they want the babies to be born during the warmer weather um, and not and not in the colder winter time. And although, depending on where you're at in the island, births can occur anytime. Uh, they like the young to be born typically in the spring or autumn to give them the best chance, uh, is what the research has shown. And because they're a mammal, newborn bats are born hairless, but they're pretty much well developed. They're teensy tiny, uh, just five grams. Like, I don't even know what to compare that to. It's mm-hmm, small. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they get their teeth at three weeks and they're furry and ready to go by about four weeks of age. And they'll finally leave the maternal roost or nesting site at about six weeks. And by th- in three months, they're full grown. So yeah, yeah it quick. is. It really is. It's really quick. Yeah, it's really quick. So we, we did talk about, you know, they're vulnerable heading towards extinction, you know, and there's really, besides what, Department of Conservation, I, I know there's not a organization dedicated just to these bats, right? Not that I could find out of New Zealand, but if you're uh, from New Zealand and you know some people doing awesome things for bats, give us a shout out and we'd love to talk to those people. Um, but However, there's a lot of resources up there from the New Zealand Department of Conservation and a lot of different research studies that they're doing, all trying to help promote uh, the reestablishment and the growth of the lesser short-tailed bat populations. Um, and so and the Department of Conservation suggests that if you live in the area, just protect your na- native forest areas if you can. Uh, if you go in the bat country or you're a farmer anything like that, help help the New Zealand Department of Conservation. And if you find yourself hiking, like hopefully you'll do, Chris, or if you're a farmer or just a person that's outdoors a lot, uh, you know, get involved with bat spotting. Uh, you, they would love to have more assistance in determining where these bats are distributed throughout New Zealand and how many there are. And so you can find information about how to basically get involved. The more boots on the ground we have, the more people we have in New Zealand caring about bats, uh, the better off they'll be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Angie, it's always good to, uh, and, and it actually was good for my conservation tips of the week, but I know you also want to give a shout out to Luby. I mean, I absolutely love them. Yes. We'll put them up on our show notes for sure. Please check out, uh, Luby that's L U B E E.org. org. Uh, and, uh, they are a phenomenal international nonprofit organization. That's just filled with so much educational information and their website's super fun. Following them on Facebook or other social media platforms, you'll learn a lot and they'll hopefully help get you really excited about Bat Fest and the month of October and there's just year-round bat education. Uh, So please check them out. And then my interview with director Brian Pope that should be dropping in a couple days is also was really fun. It was just like you know, just put your car on cruise control and listen yeah, or your yeah. feet up because he he's a storyteller and he he was really fun to interview and to learn. I, I learned a lot about yeah. bats. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, you know, shout, shout out to Dr. Cottrell, Debbie Cottrell, that uh, one of your early in- interviews uh, way back when. That, yes, uh, you know, she's, did, she was great. Does a lot of rehab and stuff with, with bats, yeah. And yeah, she helped bust a lot of bat myth as well. And so yeah. it was a, that was another fun interview. Yeah, yeah. All right, so conservation tips of the week, how you can turn your garden into a bat haven. So some of the things you can do. Number one, keep your cats indoors at night, please. <laughs> Cats, I love them. I love them, but they are horrific to wildlife. They they catch and kill bats. So keep your cats indoors. You can reduce or remove artificial lighting because that uh, can mess with bats. Uh, things you can help: plant night-scented flowers. Let your garden go a little wild with with native plants and stuff. You can build a pond because you know they they will look for water. Things like that. And you can put up a bat box, which, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be able to tell you how to do that, but you can go online, you know, I'll put a link here that you can go online and look how you can build a bat box and maybe you can even get some bats roosting on, on your property. You know, that, that could be a possibility uh, depending on where you live in the world. So just things you can do to help out bats. It, it's their incredible species. I hope that came across with this podcast, not just in New Zealand, but around the world, wherever you live. The bats that are native to your area are critical and they're doing you a service and they're actually helping you keep those insects, pollinate those flowers, help grow fruit. They're amazing. They're amazing creatures. Once again, another great episode in the book, Celebrating Bats, Bat Fest all over wherever you live, the month of October. Uh, Look around. You'll be able to find some. Check check out luby.org. And please share this episode. So if you do have any friends or family members that maybe aren't fans of bats, that we will change them. So thank you for listening and loving, learning, conserving. Bats need us, especially these ones in New Zealand. Oh, and just wait till next week. Another spooky species coming your way. Take care. Thank you. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com